case you haven't noticed, we have a uh, theme tonight in our singing. We've been singing about the blood. This morning, we spent some time talking about the first element of the Lord's Supper, and that's the bread. And, uh, and so we were looking at, at this. This is a two-part message this morning and tonight, the body and the blood, the body and the blood. My wife's coming to make something right. Yeah. Okay. Yep, thank you. Okay. So Matthew 28, I'm sorry, Matthew 26, rather, verse number 26. Matthew 26, verse number 26. As they were eating... Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink of it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And so we've decided to take some time as we approach the Lord's table to look at these two elements. This morning we talked about the body as represented by the bread. It speaks to the Savior's purity, and that bread is unleavened without anything that would typify sin. It's a picture of sin's punishment. That bread is pierced, and it's striped. And it's also a picture of salvation's plan. When you look into the Passover Haggadah, You see that the bread is broken. The bread is wrapped in a white linen cloth. The bread is hidden, and nothing can move forward until the bread is discovered. What an interesting thing that these dear people, and we do love the Jewish people, celebrate the resurrection of their Messiah without even knowing it. The Seder prayer is what's most interesting to me in all of that. They pray, blessed are you, Lord our God. Ruler of the universe, who brings forth bread, the body, from the earth. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful, wonderful picture that is. Now tonight, um, we look to the blood. We did the body this morning, we look to the blood tonight. As we go to the Lord in prayer and ask His blessing on our time together, I, I failed to mention earlier, uh, please pray for the family of Brenda McCracken. Um, who uh, passed away, just uh, pray for them, lift them up. Uh, Miss Kathy Umberger was letting me know about that. Just uh, pray for her, um, her family, uh, Eddie and the others. Just, just lift them up if you would, okay? Let's pray and ask God's blessing on our time tonight. Lord God, we sure do need your help. This message is, is by design brief, but Lord, I don't want it to be unimpactful. I'm, I'm dealing with the most important substance in the history of mankind, And that's the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Lord God, would you help me to handle your word rightly tonight? If somebody's among us not saved, Lord, I'm I'm not looking to make them like us. I'm not looking to make them a Baptist. I'm not looking to make them in my image. All I care about, Lord, is that everybody that I meet goes to heaven with me. And I'm not going to heaven because I'm a good person. 
I'm not going to heaven certainly because I earned it. I'm going to heaven because of the blood of Jesus Christ. May we all be, be, be well acquainted with that blood tonight and glorify Christ in it. For it's in his name we ask these things. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to go to Hebrews chapter 9. We're going to depart from this text and go to Hebrews chapter 9. If you, if you only get one book of the Bible to learn about the blood of Jesus Christ, I recommend to you the book of Hebrews. It has a great deal to say about the blood of Christ. What a wonderful, wonderful book, and it tells us so very much about the blood of Jesus. We are living in a time, in a, in, and this is not anything new in which more and more there is a de-emphasis on the blood. In fact, in fact, people seem to prefer bloodless religion. But the fact is, the Bible's clear, without shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. You, you can't get forgiveness without the shedding of blood. You understand in the Old Testament, typifying the coming Messiah, the Lamb of God who would come, lambs and, and bullocks and rams were sacrificed and their blood placed on altars and mercy seats for the, for, to, to cover the sins of Israel. Now, none of those sacrifices washed sin away, but it covered it temporarily. The Day of Atonement happened once a year, or Yom Kippur, in which the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the blood of that lamb on the mercy seat, and Israel would be pardoned collectively for another year. But Jesus came, and he went to that cross, and it's important to understand this. Jesus not only had to die, he had to die in a certain way. He had to die in a certain way. He could not be strangled, he could not be drowned, and he couldn't even be stoned. And the reason he couldn't be stoned was because it would not shed enough blood. And I'm careful to say shed and not spilt. Spilt implies an accident. Not one drop of Jesus' blood was accidental. Every bit of it was sovereignly controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says that, that Jesus, that, that, that his Holy One, Jesus, would not see corruption. Not one cell of his body would corrupt. And if his body wouldn't corrupt, it stands to reason that not one drop of his blood would either. For that reason, I believe the blood of Jesus Christ is still very much fresh and flowing in the mercy seat in heaven. And it is a testimony to my salvation and yours that have trusted Christ as your Savior. I believe it's still there, and I believe when I go to heaven, I'll be able to look at it and see it. And it's still working. You see, the blood doesn't just save me. The blood keeps me. That's what keeps me. And so there's much to be said about the blood, and, and I wish that we could spend all night talking about it because I don't know of a grander subject in the world than the blood of Jesus Christ, but, but we've got so much going on and so much we need to get to that it's, it's appropriate that I preach a little bit shorter tonight. We'll see if I can stay within the realms of that which is appropriate. We'll see if I preach short. All God's people said, please, Lord God, please help him to preach short. I know. I'm going to do my best, but I don't want to skim over it either. Because, friend, I want, to know something. There's, I want you to know something. There's nothing more important to you than the blood of Jesus Christ. Whether you realize it or not, nothing is more important than the blood of Jesus Christ. When we approach the Lord's table, we use grape juice. Um, not for nothing. I use a specific brand of grape juice. There's nothing in the Bible that says I have to. Truth is, we can go squeeze our own if we want. Uh, but, but if I'm candid with you, I like the modern way of yielding grape juice, the whole barefoot in the barrel stuff. I'm, I'm okay with not doing that anymore. Um, but uh, anyway, I use Welch's. And I'll tell you why I use Welch's, because that's how that guy got in the business. He got, well, Mr. Welch was a Christian man. And he started making grape juice as communion drink for his church. 
Now, they've long since, you know, slipped their moorings on that kind of stuff, but I still like the idea of going with a guy that started in the right way. But, you know, every once in a while, maybe, you know, maybe food club slips in or something, but, uh, but uh, we try to use Welch's. It's a picture of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a picture of the blood. We'll get into that as we move through the message. I want you to notice, first of all, as we look to the blood, I want you to understand the purity of the blood. The purity of the blood. I have gotten into long debates with people about this. I've even been made fun of by people that I'm very close to. I stand completely convicted that the blood, the, rather the, the wine that was used by Jesus in this Last Supper and the juice that should be used as a result of that is unfermented. I believe that. It's hard for me to accept that from, from two perspectives. It's hard for me to accept that the Bible would issue so many warnings about alcohol and then Jesus would promote its use. I just can't, I can't embrace that. Number two, fermentation is a, a yeast, a leavening agent. And if it's very clear that the body, the bread, is to be unfermented, why then will we allow fermentation into the wine? You say, well, it says wine. Remember, in Bible times, wine was just a general word for juice. Whether or not it was fermented was dependent entirely, entirely upon context. So if somebody drank wine and got drunk, contextually, it was fermented. But just the drinking of wine could have just been juice. And, and I believe with all of my heart that it was just juice. Best juice you ever had. When Jesus turned the water into wine at Cana, I'm going to tell you, those people never had anything like that. And that's what we use. We, we use grape juice, although the Bible doesn't say it has to be grape juice. It can be any fruit of the vine. But uh, we use grape juice because it does have a redder color, which reminds us of the blood. But the purity of the blood, there's no fermentation. There's no sin. Fermentation, yeast, leavening is a picture of sin in the Bible. And if there was no sin in his body, we dare not think there was sin in his blood because his body isn't what saved us. His blood is what saves us. The purity of the blood. And we've covered that many times. So let's move on to something that maybe we don't talk about as much. The provision of the blood. What do I mean by that? It had to be sourced from a particular source. It had to come, be provided by a particular stream. Matthew 26, our verses, in verse 27 says, He took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. I believe that Jesus is, is, is prescribing there that what we use in the Lord's Supper is to be fruit of the vine. It has to be sourced particularly. Meaning, as, as well-intended as some folks might be, just any old beverage isn't going to do it. It has to be a particular type. When I was a little kid, I used to play church. I held great revival meetings in my living room. And periodically, we'd have the Lord's Supper. My Lord's Supper was the most untheological thing you've ever seen in your life. It was cut up, it was cut up loaf bread, leavened to the, to the hilt, and Kool-Aid of any color. God wasn't anywhere near that stuff. 
And, and we, you know, truth be told, we were, we were visiting a church when I was a kid. My family visited a church. We were gone for the summer. We went to the, uh, <clears throat> to the coast, to the seaside, because Baptists don't go to the beach. And uh, we went to a church, and they had, they, they had the Lord's Supper, and they had loaf bread. I was like eight, and I knew, man, something ain't right here. This tastes way better than what we have at our church. You know, this is honey wheat, you know. Um, we, don't, we don't have the liberty to just choose whatever we want to source that which represents the blood of Jesus Christ. It's prescribed to be the fruit of the vine. Now, we have some liberty within that because there's a lot of things that grow on vines. So I suppose cucumber juice would do. I suppose watermelon juice would do. I don't know why you'd want either of those for this, but when we think of a vine, what do we think of? We think of grapes. Now, could it be white grape juice? It could. It could. That wouldn't be wrong. Now, what's my point? So what, Andy? Okay, it's got to be fruit of the vine. Just as this that we use in this, on this table has to be sourced from somewhere particular, the blood that you're relying on to get you heaven come, only comes from one source. So what other source could it? Well, there's a whole lot of humans that are trying to get to heaven on their own. Wrong source. There's only one source that can, be, that can provide what you need in the matter of your salvation. Hebrews chapter 9, look at verse 11, will you? Will you? Hebrews 9 verse 11. But Christ, being come in high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. Now listen to this, verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. All throughout biblical history, you see a whole lot of people that were putting their faith in the bloods of bulls and goats and lambs, bullocks. And none of that had the power to save. Hear me and hear me well, friends. If you are trusting in anything, anyone, any concept, Anything you view as truth other than the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you missed it. It is the only provision that has been made for our salvation. I am not going to heaven because I'm a good person. Because many times I'm not. And, 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 and positionally, I'm, 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 practically speaking, I'm not. I fail God more than I succeed, probably. I'm going to heaven because Jesus shed his blood once for all that it might not just cover my sin, but wash it away. And if you would be saved, friend, you need the provision of the blood of Jesus Christ alone. This seems like such an understatement what I'm about to say. We see the purity of the blood, and we see the provision of the blood, but, boy, the power of the blood. 
We could stay here the rest of the night. Relax. We won't. We're still in Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 13. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean, he's going through the old Jewish rituals, sanctify to the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The power of the blood of Christ. The whole theme of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is better He's superior. He's superior to man. He's superior to the angels. He's superior to the Levitical system. He's superior to Aaron. He's superior to sacrifices. He's superior to all of it. Whatever you name, Jesus is better. And his blood's better too. power of the blood. If this blood of bulls and goats was able to purify the flesh a year at a time, Jesus comes in and says, no, my blood is going to fix everything forever. And that's power. That's power. We could say so much more about that. The purity of the blood, the provision of the blood, the power of the blood. Now listen to this one. The permission offered by the blood. Another word we could use there for permission is access. The permission offered by the blood. We're still in Hebrews. Go over to chapter 10. I told you it had a lot to say about the blood. Chapter 10, verse number 16. Hebrews 10, verse 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Let's pause there for a second. God is so all-powerful that he can will something to leave his omniscient mind. He can will himself to forget when he knows everything. What are you carrying around, friend? (laughs) Oh, Robert, the stories I could tell about me. The guilt I still harbor sometimes. The sleepless nights. The prayers that sometimes seem to hit heavens of brass. If I could go back to 15, 16 year old me, you know what I'd say? Whatever you're thinking of doing, do the opposite. Don't be an idiot. And yet, in going through all of that and feeling all of that, It is 100% self-inflicted because God teaches when you put things under the blood, he forgets it. You're the one bringing it up, not him. So friend, what you bringing up? 
issues of morality, issues of abuse, issues of addiction, poor decisions. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Give it to him and leave it there. And you know what he'll do with it? He'll put it as far as the east is from the west. He'll put it in the depths of the sea and he will forget about it. What a wonderful thing. But we don't stop there. Their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now verse 18. Now where remission of these is, there's no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest. How? By the blood of Jesus. It's because of this blood that I have permission. I have full unfettered access to walk into the very throne room of the creator of all the universe and talk to him about whatever I want. And I have his full attention. What an amazing thing. What an amazing thing. If if some sovereign here on earth were to give us unfettered access to their office, we'd think that would be a pretty big deal. I got news for you, friend. The creator of the universe opens his throne room to you and says, come in any time. How can that be? The blood of Jesus Christ. It gives us permission. There are kids in our school that have been through difficult things and difficult situations. And this is true in general for all of them, but some specifically, I've looked them in the eye and I've told them this. And I've expressed this to their teachers over the years. If you ever need to come and talk, you have the freedom to come to me anytime you need to. Well, they might abuse that, and if they do, we'll take care of that. But some of them just need that help. They have permission, they have access. That's nothing compared to what I'm talking about tonight. My kids enjoy an access to my study that, that frankly, nobody else does. Um, They've got to give up a lot being a pastor's kid. They ought to have a couple of perks. And so their couple of perks is they have their own bathroom and access to my office. In fact, my son takes full advantage of it. I've heard him with my own ears tell his friends, come on, let's go to my office. I've come into my office, and there's just kids everywhere. And I'm like, well, hello, everyone. Why? I'll tell you why. Because they're my kids. Why do I have that access to God? Because I'm his kid. By the way, how did, what did my kids come through to be our kids? Blood. They came through blood. What did I come through? The blood. There are those who rely on works that they do, and some men may count on the times they've prayed through. But when the battle's over and the victory is won, I'll go home through the blood of the Father's only Son. The blood gives that permission, gives that access. We see the purity of the blood, the provision of the blood, the power of the blood, the permission of the blood, and then finally, I got good news for you, friend, the permanence of the blood. We're still in Hebrews. Go over to Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. 
Well, Andy, here's the thing. I, I don't... Sometimes I just get really, really off the map, man. I just, I, I get away from God. I do wrong. I get, I get into stuff I shouldn't be into. I think about things I shouldn't. I do things I shouldn't. And man, I just don't act very much like a Christian. I mean, I got saved when I was younger. I, I trusted Christ some time ago and, and I'm just not living very much like a Christian. I've got good news for you. I can't tell you you won't be chasing. God's a loving father and he will correct things in our lives, but he won't take his his gift of salvation back. It's permanent. Won't go away. Some people struggle with that. I think I forfeited, Andy. I can promise you from the word of God, you have not forfeited your salvation. What Jesus did on the cross at Calvary doesn't have an expiration date. It lasts forever. It's able to save and it's able to keep. And there are no exceptions to that. None whatsoever. And God makes us this promise through the writer of Hebrews, who we all know was Paul. He says this, Hebrews 13, verse 20. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The blood of what kind of covenant? Everlasting. If you can lose it, it wasn't everlasting, was it? If you can forfeit it, it wasn't everlasting. What Jesus did on the cross of Calvary was once, for all, forever. And we're very grateful for that. So as we hold the bread in our hands to eat it tonight, remember it pictures the body of the Lord Jesus Christ wounded for us. And as you hold that juice, it pictures the blood. The blood that is pure. The blood that was rightly provided. The blood that has power the blood that gives us permission, and the blood that is absolutely permanent. And we thank God for that. Now, it's our custom at this time in the service to give you the opportunity to talk to God about anything that you need. Let's go ahead and zip up, pack up. If you've got Bible covers, whatever, just... I'm going to read you a passage from 1 Corinthians 11. It's interesting. Somebody who wasn't even there wrote the most detailed account of what happened at the Lord's Supper. That being Paul. We call this the Lord's table. And we make it up to look real nice. But there's nothing magical about it. Periodically, I sit on the edge of it while I'm preaching to get off my hip, and I hear the gas. <gasps> it's on the Lord's table. It's a table. Now, we don't have to, but we could just as easily use a folding table. 
We got these nice linen covers, nice implements that we use. None of this affords grace to anyone. All of it is symbolic. The bread does not become the Lord Jesus' body. The, the juice does not become the Lord Jesus' blood. That's called transubstantiation. That's a wrong doctrine. What is so wonderful about this is not anything that's on this table. It's what it represents. And because of what it represents, God takes it very, very seriously. And he uses this phrase in 1 Corinthians 11, to not eat or drink unworthily. Now, unworthily, of course, none of us are worthy of anything having to do with God. We're worthy of hell. That's what we've earned. But in this case, he's not talking about that. He's talking about coming to the Lord's table in a way that is less than indicative of our understanding of its holiness and its seriousness. If you would come to the table worthily, the first thing, first and foremost, is you've got to be saved. You've got to be saved to come to this table. And maybe you're here tonight, and in a crowd this size, it could be. There might be one or two that aren't. could be somebody watching online. Maybe they're watching live tonight, or maybe they're watching at a later time. They're not saved. So let me take a moment and talk to you about that. We're all sinners, every one of us. We are all on level ground in here, y'all. I don't care how long somebody's been saved. I don't care how much money you've got in the bank. I don't care how high in society you've gotten. Every one of us were born into this world with a sin nature, a sin nature that separates us from God because he's holy, and it dooms us to hell because that's where unholy things go. And God in his righteousness can't just let us in heaven because then he wouldn't be righteous. Our sin separates us from him, disqualifies us from heaven, dooms us to hell. Well, Andy, I'm not so bad. Yeah, you are. So am I. Well, I'll stand before God and I'll explain to him that I did my best and I was better than my neighbor. Were you? Would we, would we agree that we all sin at least once a day? Yeah, of course we do, at least. How many days are in a year, 365 without a leap year? How many years have you been, let's, let's just say, over 10 years old? Start multiplying in your head how many sins that is. Now explain to me why we should stand before a holy God and claim, I really wasn't that bad when God looks at us and all he sees is sin upon sin upon sin upon sin upon sin upon sin and every one of them is an affront to his holiness and his righteousness. That's not going to work. God is righteous and God is holy. Yes, he loves us. Yes, he wants us in heaven with us, but his righteousness will not allow us to be there because our sin is putrid in his sight. So there's only one option. And that's for somebody who doesn't owe the sin debt to go and pay it for us. And that's exactly what his son, Jesus Christ, did. Born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, fulfilled the law in every point, offended it in none. 
And when he was 33 years old or thereabouts, he went to that cross. And God took your sin and your sin and your sin and my sin, and he just heaped it on Jesus. And as Jesus hung there between heaven and earth for six hours, God whooped his only son. He poured out his wrath against, against, uh, against our sin with all the fury of hell. And Jesus hung there and took it. And then when God had appropriately punished sin, he turned his back on him. And Jesus, for the first time in all of his eternal existence, was out a fellowship with his father. He didn't just bear our sin, friends. He became sin for us. But then something wonderful happened. God in heaven, the father, was satisfied. Sin's been paid for. I can... I can welcome people into heaven through my son because he has sufficiently paid for the sins of all mankind. And something, somehow, he communicated that to his son on the cross. And that's when Jesus pulled himself up on those nails and at great pain drew in a breath and he cried out one word in Greek, three words in English. It is finished. It's paid in full. Sin has been paid for. Brother Hensley, your sin was paid for at that moment. My sin paid for at that moment. All of our sins paid for at that moment. And he died. They put him in a grave for three days. Early that Sunday morning, long before sunrise, Jesus walked out of that tomb alive. And he went to the Father in the mercy seat in heaven, and he took the blood that he shed, and he put it on that mercy seat in heaven as the final sacrifice for our sin once for all. Having gone through all of that, how dare we offer our own works as the way to get to heaven? No. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. So if you're here tonight and you've never trusted Christ, I'm not asking you if you're religious. I'm not asking you if you're a Baptist or you're a church member. I'm asking you if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. I'm asking you to do so tonight. I'm inviting you to let Jesus be your Savior. Well, if I do that, I'll have to give up everything and I'll have to change. I got, I got news for you, friend. Until you have Christ, you can't change. You might have moments of reformation, but as far as real revival and repentance and change, you can't do it without Christ. You need him to do it. But I'll tell you, when you get saved and the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life, that is, this is a big understanding. That's a game changer, y'all. The Holy Spirit lives in you and changes everything and gives you the power to do right. Well, Andy, if I get saved, does that mean I'm going to have to be like you? God forbid. No. It means he starts making you more like Jesus. That's what we're all after. And if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you have an opportunity tonight to do so. Here's what's going to happen. We're going to have a time of invitation. And during that time of invitation, we don't even play music. Because I don't want, I don't want anybody to feel like they can't come to this platform. Some people come and they kneel here at the steps. We call it an altar. Some people turn around and kneel at their pews. Some people bow their heads. But the point is, we take this time, 
to do business with God. For two reasons. Number one, if somebody here is not saved, needs to be saved, now's the time. Because if you die without Christ, you'll go to hell for all eternity. Now's the time. Christian, if there's something not right between you and God, now's the time. Because when you approach this table, you want to do so with all things clear between you and God and to the best of your ability between you and others. And then once we've done that, we open the table. And we remember what Jesus has done for us. So let's stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. No one's looking around. I want to remind you that though the live stream continues, anybody that's watching is not privy to what can be seen or heard right now, okay? This is completely between you and God. All right. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, nobody's looking around. I'm going to ask a question or two. I won't embarrass anybody. I won't pull anybody aside. I just want to pray for you personally. I wonder if there'd be somebody by an uplifted hand would say, Andy, the matter of my salvation concerns me. It could be you're not sure. It could be you know you're not saved. I won't approach you. I won't send anybody else to do it. I won't embarrass you. If I knew your name, I wouldn't call it out. Would you slip that hand up high enough for me to see it and just say, Andy, would you pray for me? In the matter of my salvation, would you pray for me? All right, seeing none, I'll make the assumption that everyone here is saved. If that's not so, and this time of invitation, when we invite people to come, would you search me out? If you're a lady, I'd get a lady. If you're a gentleman, I'd get a gentleman. Somebody will take you aside with a Bible and show you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. We sure would love the honor of doing that. Here's the second question. Can you approach the table worthily with things right between you and God? And as best as you can, you and others. I'm going to tell you now, as best I know, I'm right with God. But during this time, I'm going to kneel before him. And I'm going to ask his Holy Spirit to search me and try me. And see if there be any wicked way in me.